This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Ever since the Garden of Eden, religious people have made an attempt to cover up uh, their sin. We, we do this all the time. Ever since Adam, we've done this. Cover up our sin, or we think that by our righteous acts, by the good deeds that we might do, we can do away with our sin. Adam suddenly realized after eating the forbidden fruit that he was naked as a jaybird. Just called all of a sudden, whoa, I feel a draft, and he knew he was naked. He didn't know that, didn't realize this. It wasn't a shameful thing for him up to that. So he makes a loincloth out of fig leaves. As a sign of his covenant with God, Abraham initiated at God's bidding, at God's command, Abraham initiated a sign of his covenant with God, the Jewish rite of male circumcision. And every Jewish baby boy was to follow with that bloody act. It was really no different than today's denominations that teach that a baptized infant becomes a Christian and has everlasting life at that moment. And and such acts require, if you're depending on those kind of good works, they require no faith on the part of the recipient. No Jewish baby boy understood what it meant to be a Jew. He just knew something hurt real bad a few days after he was born. The Jewish people were always, and many today, remain very proud of their designation as God's chosen people. But somewhere along the line, in their history, and they've got 4,000 years of history. Somewhere along the line, the concept of faith got lost in the generations. And as faith was lost, it was replaced by, you, you don't just lose faith, you have to replace it with something. And what we typically do is we replace faith with outward signs, like their male circumcision. By the time of their slavery in Egypt, while they may have continued to circumcise their newborns, and we know that they did because Moses was. While they continued with that, they had forgotten God. They didn't know anything about God. When Moses comes back and says, I've met with God, they're saying, which God are you talking about? They'd forgotten him, although they continued with the outward signs. Even after the exodus and the reintroduction to God through Moses and the law that God gave them, they continued to see themselves as the only chosen ones. And that, what made them so was this act of removing a little skin. That became their salvation, they thought. You fast forward to Jesus and his new covenant. Remember his words at the Last Supper. We're remembering that this morning. It wasn't any longer, this new covenant wasn't any longer to be about keeping the law, including circumcision, but was about receiving his sacrifice on the cross as payment for our sin. I love that line in the song, my sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Jesus said, this is the new covenant, payment in full for our sin. It was no longer about works, it was about grace. Actually, it had always been about grace. The people just were confused. But centuries of trusting in the law, and for the world that becomes legalism, had caused Abraham's descendants to trust in themselves rather than God's grace to them. 
The earliest Christians, and you've been going with us through the book of Acts, you understand this. The earliest Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish men and Jewish women. Some of them were from the sect of the Pharisees, the strictest of the Jews when it came to keeping the law. And for these Pharisees who had then put their faith in trust, turning from the law to grace was a most difficult thing. Some of us here, self-included, were brought up in legalistic kinds of Christianity. You know, don't, you don't wear this kind of clothes. You don't eat that. We, we who were brought up in that kind of thing understand the struggle of falling completely into the arms of grace when you've trusted so long in rules. And I still, many, many decades after I realized it's not about the laws, it's about grace, I still struggle from day to day with that battle. Well, here in the book of Acts, we get to this chapter 15, and and Gentiles are coming into Christ's family by faith. And before long, there would be more Gentile Christians than Christian Jews. The Gentiles are outnumbering the Jews who now believed in Jesus. And so it stood to reason that the Jewish believers who were trying to hold on to Christ with one hand and to the law with the other would make an effort to add law to grace. Yeah, there's faith in Jesus, but there's got to be more. We can't totally let go of our Jewish laws and our heritage and our traditions. They would make an effort to add law to grace in order for these Gentiles to be truly saved. And that's what chapter 15 of Acts is about. It's about law and it's about grace and it's about holiness. This is another major event in the life of the church. You know, we had Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Uh, we had, we had uh, uh, for example, we had um, when Peter took the gospel to Cornelius, and he's going to recount that story here for us in Acts chapter 10. Major events, turning points in the book of Acts. This is another one of those. It's the first time, by the way, that we're going to see in the church at Jerusalem or any of the churches, we're going to see the elders of the church acting as the protectors of doctrine. And that's exciting because we believe here at Nags Head Church, that's what our elders are to do. Make sure that we are keeping the doctrine of Scripture as it, as it was given. It shows us here in this chapter how the church came to, to some conclusions. A lot of Baptists need to read Acts chapter 15 before they have their next business meetings. And before this morning, before we go to the Lord's table, I want to bring out some points that we always need to cling to. If you're taking notes, point number one is our purpose and mission are determined by our beliefs. Our purpose and our mission are determined by our beliefs. More importantly than our music style, the ability of the preacher, the organization of our ministries, the most dynamic, important dynamic of a church is what it believes. Look with me. Let's read the first five verses. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Brothers means teach the congregation. By the way, if you look at a map, Antioch is up here in Syria. Jerusalem is down here in Judea, and yet Luke says they came down from Judea. We would say they went up from Judea. They didn't look at things quite the same way we did. They went down from Judea because Judea is up in elevated and height in the hill country, and Antioch was down closer to sea level. So they literally went down to get to to Antioch. They came down from Judea taught the brothers, and here's what they said. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. 
Verse 2, but after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, they didn't agree. The church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up back to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. When they had been sent on their way by the church there in Antioch, these men, Paul and Barnabas and these others, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they created great joy among all the brothers. Brothers, When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, speaking of these Gentiles, and the command and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now here's an example of the beliefs of the church being challenged by a group within the church. These are not outsiders, these are part of the church, these Pharisaical Christian Jews. They're part of this congregation. It was important for their purpose as a church, for the future of the church, the expansion of the church, that they get this right. The very big question that every one of us should have asked if you are a partner of this congregation, we use the word partnership rather than member or membership here. It's very important if you are a partner of this church, one of the most important things that you should ever ask before becoming part of a congregation is, does this church have a belief system that can be traced back to Christ and the apostles? Are our beliefs based on the solid rock of the Bible, not on man-made traditions? How important is that? Very important. Most important. The Pharisees' concept of salvation ignored that new covenant that Jesus gave at that last supper. Had the apostles and the elders, had they bombed on this, had they failed on this, had they, had, had they taken the attitude of some pastors that I know, that I personally know, when controversy starts to broil and brew in a church, and they say, look, let's just not create any waves. Let's just kind of pretend like it's going to go away. It's going to fade away. It does not. False doctrine in a church is like a cancer. It doesn't just disappear. You got to go in and you got to, you got to cut it out, you got to freeze it out, you got to fry it out, but you got to get rid of it because it will spread. Paul says, like leaven does in dough for bread. Had they failed on this, who knows what would become of Christianity? We may not be here today. Number two, there is one salvation for all by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 6. We're going to read down through verse 18. Then the apostles and the elders assembled. The church, the, the apostles and the elders got together to consider this matter. The apostles, remember, these are the guys that Jesus handpicked. And the elders are the leaders from within the congregation. They are the pastors of the church. They still have both groups within the church. The apostles are still exercising some leadership now along with the elders. Eventually, the apostles are all going to go out as missionaries, and the elders, the pastors, are going to be there without the apostles to lead the church. But right now, they're there with them, and it's a good thing. Why is it good? Because the apostles could say, we were with Jesus and we heard this new covenant with our own ears that night before he was crucified. 
We know what salvation is all about. So the apostles and the elders got together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up. We all know who Peter is. And said to them, brothers, you are aware that in the early days, God, God made a choice among you. It wasn't our choice. Peter said, it certainly wasn't my choice. Remember the story of Peter on the roof? Remember when we had Peter here a few months ago and he told his story? And he did not want to go to Cornelius' house, the Gentile. He thought, my goodness, Lord, I don't do that kind of thing. I don't go in Gentile homes. I don't eat with Gentiles. I don't associate with them. And Jesus said, wait a second, Peter. Don't you call unclean what I've cleansed. Peter is a new covenant. Peter said, you remember, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, I was the most surprised, is how Peter's telling this, that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, to the Gentiles, giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He, God, made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Doesn't matter your, your race, it doesn't matter your social background, it doesn't matter what country you live in, what language you speak, how much education you have. He says, God makes no distinction. There is one way to God for all people is where Peter's going with this. Now, verse 10, now let me ask you a question, Peter says to these Pharisees in the congregation. Why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks, on these Gentiles, a yoke that, a, that an animal would wear on its neck to pull a wagon, to pull a cart. Why are you putting this yoke on, on their necks? Listen, that neither our ancestors, let's go back to the Old Testament, let's look at all our ancestors. Were they able to keep the law? And the answer is no. Why are you putting a yoke on their necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? You're asking them to do the impossible. On the contrary, verse 11, we believe. Boy, this is a verse you can highlight, underline, score, memorize. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Then the whole assembly fell silent. Apparently, the apostles and the elders are gathered together. But apparently, the, what, what Luke is telling us, the whole church, or as many of them can get in this wherever this place is, they're around listening to the apostles and the elders and the Pharisees and Paul and Barnabas go through this whole debate. And it's good for the church to hear that. The whole assembly fell silent and listened to Paul and Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, Paul and Barnabas are done telling their story of their missions trip their journey. James responded. Now, who is this James? There's several Jameses in the New Testament. One of them we already know has been executed by Herod. There were two apostles named James, so there's one apostle left, but this is not the apostle James. This is a fellow by the name of James who has become amongst the elders in Jerusalem. He's not an apostle. He is an elder, has become, this, if you will, the senior leader, the lead pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He is the same James who would later write the letter with his name on it, James. He is the half-brother of Jesus, all right? He's risen to become a leader in the church, and James stands up and responds, brothers, listen to me. 
Simeon or Simon or Peter, if you will, has reported how God first intervened to take away from the, take from the Gentiles a people for his name. He's just told us his story. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it's written. So he reads from the Old Testament. After these things, I will return and build, rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity, not just the Jewish people, the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does these things from long ago. Here, get this. If you are a Gentile, how many of you this morning are Gentiles? Raise your hand. That means you're not Jewish. Raise your hand. Hold it up there. Some of you are not sure. According to what we just read, you are a Gentile who has been called by the Lord to believe in Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool. Declares the Lord who does these things from long ago. Verse 19, let's stop there, verse 18. Back up to a couple things that, that were said there. Verse 9, again, reiterate, God made no distinction between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. Verse 11, We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, they're saved in the same way we are. What that means is this. Everyone who will desire to have their sins forgiven, everyone who desires to have everlasting life must come through Jesus. There is no other way made available to anyone in this world, regardless of their culture. We're about in a few moments to observe communion, which for us as Christians is a reminder that not only did Jesus die on the cross, it reminds me that I have at some time in my life, I was a 10-year-old boy, I, I have and you have if you're a Christian, I have at some time in my life placed my faith and my trust in him alone. We eat this little piece of bread and we drink this little cup of juice. It's not so that you can be saved. You are not by doing this receiving Jesus as your Savior. You are being reminded that you already have. You're being reminded that he died on the cross for you. I eat and drink because I have been saved by grace through faith. Point number three, God cares about holiness in our lives. So James has stood up and he said, We've heard what they've had to say. Paul and Barnabas and Peter are exactly right. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. Verse verse 19, Then therefore he continues saying, In my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Now let me ask you, let me just talk to the guys for a second. You're an adult male. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and word gets back to you from the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. You're not quite there yet, fellas. You've got to be circumcised. Would that cause a difficulty for you if you're an uncircumcised grown adult male? I would say, no. Uh, Count me out. Probably. Come on, really? I've gone through my whole life, and now we don't want to throw any more difficulties for those men, those Gentiles. But instead, here's some things that we need to instruct them on. Instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, Abstain from sexual morality. Abstain from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. Why? For since since ancient times, Moses had those who proclaim 
him in every city and every Sabbath day. He is read aloud in the synagogues. When he, speaking of Moses' law. Well, how did the church react to this? Verse 22, the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them. Let's get some guys from the congregation and send them back up to Antioch or back down to Antioch, however you want to look at it, with Paul and Barnabas. And here are the men they selected. Judas, called Barsabbas. Again, there's more than one person in the church named Judas. And this is not the Judas who hung himself and betrayed Christ, obviously. Judas and Silas, Silas is going to become a major player later in the book of Acts as he becomes one of Paul's missionary teammates. Both leading men among the brothers. These are men the whole church knows, the whole church um, the whole church. Um, appreciates and respects, perhaps their elders, choose these men, and they wrote this letter to be, to be delivered by them. And here's the letter. From the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the brothers among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Because we have heard that some, without our authorization, these Pharisees that went to Antioch and began to teach this false doctrine, they, didn't, they weren't sent by the apostles. They did not have their permission, their authorization. Some went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts because you had thought the message that Paul and Barnabas had taught you about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you thought it was a done deal because you believed in Jesus. These guys came up and got you all confused and all troubled. Because they did... We have unanimously, unanimously, can I say that word, unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, therefore we have sent Judas and Silas who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. They're here to give bear witness that Paul and Barnabas aren't just saying this because this is what they believe. This is what we believe. The apostles and elders are saying. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. How do do they come to that conclusion that it was the Holy Spirit's decision? Remember when they assembled together and they talked it out and they figured it all out? They knew the Holy Spirit. These people are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's deciding this for them, guiding them into this decision to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things. You need to understand these things. These things are for your own protection, if you will. That if you will abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled. From blood means essentially don't drink blood. All right? From eating anything that's been been strangled and from sexual immorality, if you will do well, if you keep yourself from these things, farewell. And then being sent off, these men, Barnabas and Paul, uh, these other two men, Silas, and Barsabbas, they, they were sent off, they, they go down to Antioch, they gather the church, they deliver the letter, verse 31. When they read it, they rejoiced. The church rejoiced because of in, in, encouragement. All the men said, amen. Don't have to be circumcised, guys. Amen. Let's have a potluck dinner. You know? They were encouraged and strengthened them with, and I love this, 
These, these men, who Bar- Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, verse 32, strengthened the brothers, I love this, and strengthened them, encouraged the brothers, and strengthened them with a long message. We have a sermon for you today. It was long, they said. How long is long? I don't know. But it was long, <laughs> Luke writes. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace, back to Jerusalem by the brothers, by the congregation in Antioch, to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the message of the Lord. Point number three, God cares about holiness in our lives. God cares about holiness in our lives. Holiness, what does holiness mean? Mean. Holiness means a separation from what is worldly, what is not of God, what things that we need to avoid. A separation from what is worldly and at the same time a separation to Christ. It's a movement from the old things that don't belong in my life to Jesus Christ. It's, it's that process that all of us as Christians go through. It's not something that happens overnight, in a moment, in a flash. I no long, It's a lifelong process. The Bible, one of the terms for it is sanctification. And we're not to be sanctimonious, self-righteous, but we are a sanctified, then that word means the same thing, it comes from the same Greek word, hagias, it means to be separated from the world, separated to the Lord, it's a progressive work in, of God in our lives, and it's, that work is done in our lives, guess by who? By the Holy Spirit, making us more and more like Jesus. They found three areas of morality for the Gentiles to honor. Here's three things. Now, remember, the Gentiles have not grown up in the, in the moral culture of the Jews. These are going to be foreign things to them. These are going to be things that they've grown up their whole lives and never thought anything about them. But now they're being told as Christians, these are things we need to move away from and move more toward Christ. These are not things that will please the Lord in your life. Number one, avoid any connection with false gods. They said abstain from foods offered idols. Why? Paul would write later in the epistles, look, it's just food, right? Right. I mean, the gods don't somehow spiritually enter that food. It's just food. But abstain from that. Why? Because you have Jewish Christians in your congregation, who fellowship with you as Gentiles, and they're going to see if you eat these foods that have been offered in these pagan temples to false gods, if they see you eating those foods, they're going to see that as as you mixing Christianity with paganism. Don't do that. Don't do that. I've been in other countries in the world, especially in Latin America, where Christianity has been mixed with paganism. I've, been, I've seen it with my own eyes on the steps of churches in Latin America, where places where they sacrifice chickens and animals to the gods of their Aztec and, 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 uh, and Indians, uh, Mayan ancestors, on the steps of a Catholic church they have taken and they have pulled together, if you will, mixed together paganism, and Christianity. It's like mixing oil and water. It does not work. You can't have both. You've got to have one or the other. So they said, look, let's not do anything to confuse the Jews or upset the Jews who are among you. Don't eat this food that's offered to these idols. 
You'll cause them to stumble. They would think they could be Christian and pagan at the same time, and their faith would be weakened. Avoid connection with false gods. Have you done that, by the way, in your life? Are there still old gods from your past that you're hanging on to? You need to let go and become holy, move toward Christ's likeness. Secondly, he gave him a dietary restriction. Avoid eating things strangled and avoid drinking blood. And, and if, you know, if you think about it, there's some reasons why God had them do this in the ancient days. They didn't have any kind of refrigeration. You know, you, you, you know I've never seen animals that, that I eat, you know, beef and pig and, and, and stuffed chicken. I've never been so much to slaughtering any kind of those things. I understand my sister-in-law, though, is great at wringing chickens' necks. I, I've heard that, that she can wring a chicken's neck with the best of them. Is that right, Misha? She can, yeah. She's an Oklahoman and uh, grew up on the farm there. Um, I've never seen that, but you know, you, you, you kill an animal and you drain it of its blood, yeah. This was part of God's covenant, by the way, with Noah. Preceded the law of Moses, it's with Noah, and it's still, is, Moses, is Noah's law, our covenant still in effect, by the way, the covenant God made with Noah? How many of you have seen a rainbow lately? That is evidence of what? God's covenant with Noah that I will not destroy the earth with a flood. So it's still in effect. So he gave that to Noah. Let's continue to practice that. It has practical value. It has physical. It keeps us from getting sick, if you will. And then avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. If you have a King James Bible, your Bible says fornication. What does that mean? That word refers, listen to me, to any sexual lifestyle or sexual acts outside of the sanctity of marriage. That's the simplest way I can define it. Anything sexual outside of the sanctity of marriage, it is a blanket term that covers everything from premarital sex, adulterous affairs, homosexual acts, to pornography. It is all-inclusive. Avoid sexuality. You know why God had the, gen- the Gentiles, that was foreign to them, because for them, kind of playing around and messing around was part of their culture. Every man had a girlfriend on the side. God designed marriage and family. Do you know why he designed marriage and a family as a way to protect children and as a way to build morally healthy communities? Avoid sexual immorality. And despite what you may hear, the Bible still defines marriage as a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Jesus did. That's true in the Old Testament. It's true as the words of Jesus. It's true in the words of the apostles. Sexual immorality was the cardinal sin among the Gentiles. Theirs was a culture that allowed men to cheat on their wives. And, and, and you know, with other men or other women. Sexual immorality has no place in the life, in your life, Christian, or mine, because of what it destroys. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. Because of what it destroys and how it goes against God's design for sex. Nowhere, nowhere in the Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, is the command to abstain from sexual sin revoked. So they send this letter to the church in Antioch, and it brought unity to the congregation. It helped them to be straight, not only on the question of salvation, 
but on the way they as Gentiles should practice holy living in an unholy world. Let's be honest, because I live in it and you do too. Living in an unholy world. I mean, it's fun to come to church because there's not a whole lot of temptation here, I hope, this morning to sin. Unless you went out to the table where all those goodies were and you decided to eat the whole tray. You know? There's not a whole lot of temptation here necessarily to sin, but we live in this holy world. We can't stay here 24-7. we got to go out into the world, and out in the world there are the temptations. All of us stumble into sin. Sometimes we don't just stumble, sometimes we intentionally choose it. And that's where God's grace is so powerful in our lives because he's always open. He's always ready to restore the fallen and the flawed. We're going to sing a couple songs in just a moment. I'm going to ask our band to come up as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And the songs that they're going to sing are designed to draw our hearts and minds to the cross. And and as they're playing and singing, you may want to sing along, you may not want to sing. You may want to just spend that time turning in your heart from maybe some sin that has pulled you down and asking God to make you holy before him. Father, would you help us to never forget, by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone. And now as we get ready for this table, would you prepare our hearts? If there are issues of holiness that we need to confess to you, I pray that right now we'll do so, so that as we do participate, as Tom comes and leads us in a few moments, our hearts will be, will be right people with you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for these elders and apostles. Thank you for their passion to stand firm on the truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.